When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should do something for your future self and how flying wish paper can ease heartache. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, you and I have made wishes on flying wishing paper together in the past. Yes, we have. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, my wish today is that everyone who's joined us on Instagram for our hashtag happier 2017 project continues to be happy and healthy in 2017. That has been so much fun. Yes, I know. I've loved seeing everybody's pictures. It's like a sure way to get a lift um, to see just that beautiful gallery of, uh, of photos. And we will talk about it. Uh, yes. What, what some favorite um, pictures were at length um, in an upcoming episode. Yeah, we'll do a deep dive into what we've learned about happiness from Instagram, yes. from the yes. hashtag <laughs> happier2017. Yes. And it's not too late. You can still join in. The hashtag is happier2017. Um, you can tag us. Uh, I'm at Gretchen Rubin and Elizabeth is at Liz Craft. And Elizabeth, don't you feel like so like cool and part of the culture and everything that we've got this thing going on Instagram? I love it. Yes, I'm a big Instagram fan. I'm new to it and I love it. So. <laughs> To Gretchen, I'm loving the Onward Project. I don't know if people are aware that you've launched a network of shows that are all in the same vein as Happier. Yeah. No, it's it's really exciting. So the Onward Project is, a, like like you said, sort of a family podcast where if you like this, you'll like that. If you like Happier, you'll like Side Hustle School. You'll like uh, Radical Candor. You'll like Happier in Hollywood, which, Elizabeth, your show has not launched, but we are very excited for that. But it's super fun. 
both the podcasts that have already launched are fascinating and terrific. And like there was one, Elizabeth, where I thought of you on Radical Candor, uh, where Kim Scott and Russ Laraway were talking about how to give feedback to someone, constructive feedback, even if they start crying. Mm. And I was like, oh, I bet Elizabeth, Elizabeth should definitely listen to that. Yes. The, um, they're, they're, I've experienced tears. I both cried and, and seen people <laughs> crying. <laughs> made people cry. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so radical candor. There's a lot, a lot of excellent material there all about dealing with a boss, being a boss, managing a boss. Uh, great stories. Yeah. So the Donner Project is really fun. Yes. And Elizabeth, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to do something for your future self, which came to us was a suggestion that we got from a from a listener. Yes. Uh, from Nikki in Atlanta. She says, hi, Gretchen and Liz. I read about this idea of thinking of your future self on Will Wheaton's blog, and it has been so helpful to me. The idea is that whenever you can, you should do something kind for your future self, something that will make you happier and your life easier. For me, this means doing little things like setting up the coffee maker at night so there is a fresh pot waiting for me in the morning or cutting up veggies in the morning so they are easy to grab throughout the day. For the most part, the things that make future me happy are simple and take very little time. But the happiness I feel when I go downstairs and find a full pot of fresh coffee waiting for me is immeasurable. As an obliger, thinking of my future self as a separate person who is worthy of my time and love provides the external motivation I need to accomplish these small tasks without procrastinating. So that's fascinating. Um, I will put a link in the show notes. That's uh, happiercast.com slash uh, 101 um, to the post that Nikki's mentioning. Um, but there's a lot there to ponder and to think about. Yeah, I love this idea of doing something for your future self. Um, a small way that um, I do this um, is like taking a shower at night mm. before bed. So then I know my future self who has to wake up at 6.45 a.m. <laughs> will be happy that I've freshly showered as opposed to having to shower in the morning. Well, that's a perfect example. I love that. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is that Nikki is talking about how this works for her as an obliger. Mm. Um, and, um, of course, I'm obsessed with my four tendencies framework, which is whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. And I... The quiz, if you don't know what you are, go to happiercast.com slash quiz. But she knows she's an obliger. And that means that uh, she readily meets outer expectations but struggles to meet inner expectations. And the solution for any kind of frustration that an obliger feels when they're not able to do something for themselves, um, when they can't meet their inner expectations for themselves, the answer is always to have outer accountability. Mm. Now, you're an obliger, Elizabeth, so you know you know this feeling of, of needing this kind of outer accountability in order to fulfill these inner expectations. Yeah, I do think trying to think of your future self as an outside person, it might be sort of a trick that obligers can use to get around the idea of not fulfilling inner expectations. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I've noticed is that there's a there's a wide variety among the obliger tendency of how easily people feel triggered to meet an expectation. Like, what do they need to feel outer accountability? So some obligers will feel accountable even to something like an automated email message 
or their Fitbit or, you know, some kind of app that's just like, hey, you've only walked 5,000 steps. Um, you know, th- that will trigger their feeling about our expectations. So it's almost like that thing. Become- and, and here, Nikki similarly is able to imaginatively think of her future self as an outer expectation. It's, it's separate enough from her that it, it, it carries its own weight. But I will say this. That is not true for all obligers. For many obligers, it's much more difficult to trigger that sense of accountability. And so like they might actually need to get in trouble from a real person. You know, for them to feel like they have to do something, there might be have to be really actual consequences. Mm-hmm. And so if you are an obliger, one thing to know is is to really think about, well, what can you do to trigger this sense of outer expectation? Because what we're like paying. For some obligers, paying for something really makes them feel like they have to do it. Oh my gosh, I paid for that yoga class. I have to show up. But for other people, it's almost like it lets them feel like they're off the hook. Like, oh, well, I paid. The teacher benefits whether I show up or not, so I don't need to go. So you need to really, as an obliger, think about, well, what's going to give me that feeling of outer expectation that I need in order to do these things for myself? And so this is a really great example of somebody who's figured out kind of a mental frame that does trigger that outer expectation. And like you say, it works for you as well. Yeah, well, I lo- it does... Um now that I think about it on this, like the shower thing I was mentioning, I want to try to apply it to other things like exercise. Like I'm thinking if I say, well, my future self is going to feel so good that I did a hike this morning. Let me do that for her now. You know, I think that might be a good thing to try. Well, and you might even think about the time horizons, because is it like your future self, like yourself tonight? Or is it your future Mm. self like five years from now? Like somebody was somebody was saying, One obliger was saying to me, I was thinking like, I don't want to exercise now, but my future self in five years is going to be really angry at me if I've like let all this time go by and um, I haven't, you know, made progress toward this goal. And so, again, it's like I think for different people, they feel sensitive at different levels. It might be today, tomorrow, or it might be five years, you know, doing these little things for yourself. um, you have to think about, well, it's not just that like, I want this for myself, or I'm the priority, or I need to take time for myself, or I need to take care of myself, but somehow giving it some kind of frame of outer accountability, because that is really what is going to help with an obliger. Um, Gretchen, that definitely helps me keep up with Inform Fitness, our high intensity weight training program, because I know it helps bone density in women ah, yes. to, to lift weights. And so I think, okay, when I'm 75, I'm going to be really glad that I've been doing this for, you know, decades. But see, that's a perfect example where you're thinking about, well, I'm doing this for this future self and this future self's concerns, but I have to do it now in order to like help that future self. So I think it's a great, I think that this is a really, really great tip. It might not work for everyone um, because of the thing about the tendencies is strategies that work for one tendency don't always work for other tendencies. But one thing you can always do is just to experiment with it and, and mm-hmm. try it. Try thinking about something that way. Because what I found is that the way we frame things really does matter. Like I used to think like, eh, well, what, what difference does it make what vocabulary you're using? You're still trying to do the same thing. No, it really matters tremendously how you think about things. And so try this. It might work. It might not work. But it's just an experiment on yourself. All you're going to gain is knowledge one way or another. You know, either it's a, it's a strategy that works or you know that it's not a strategy and you need to move on to the next experiment. So I, I think this is this is a really great thing to think about, especially for obligers. Yes. Uh, Gretch, speaking of obligers, you have your book coming out in September, the Four Tendencies book, where you will um, discuss this in even more depth. 
tendencies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a whole section in there about the future self as, a, as an accountability strategy. So, um, yes. Yeah. I can't. I'm I'm busily finishing that book. Cannot <laughs> wait. So let us know if you tried this at home and whether doing something for your future self works for you. Uh, get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, for the show notes, you can go to happiercast.com slash 101. This is episode 101 for anything related to this episode. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And, Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. So, Elizabeth, I love this happiness hack. This comes from Donna, and she is uh, mentioning an episode, uh, episode 97 that we talked about where it was about how do you deal with the anger that comes after you've broken up with somebody. And she wrote, I was sad, angry, and regretful. I knew the breakup needed to happen, but was having a hard time processing the emotions that came after. I purchased some flying wish paper, and I wrote out all the things I wanted to release about the situation, using one piece of paper for each thing. I then took the paper, matches, and a glass of wine outside to my patio, put on some nice music, and lit the papers one at a time. As the papers burned down, they lifted off into the air. It felt like a tribute instead of a catharsis. I was acknowledging that these feelings had been a part of my life, but were no longer serving me, and so I was letting them go. And I just thought that was the most beautiful kind of ritual to go through. Yeah, Gretchen, we've done flying wish paper before. Yeah. Explain what it is to everybody. Yeah, so we actually, Elizabeth, we, we do this at Christmas time in our family. Um, so flying wish paper is this paper that you get. It's, it sort of looks like origami paper. It's square. It's light paper. And it's, you know, I'll put a link to it um, if you want to get some yourself. Um, and the idea is that you write a wish on it and then you you have to like ball it up and then flatten it out and wrap it around your finger. There's sort of a little process to get it 
just right into this tube. And then you light one edge of the tube and the paper burns down. And it just at the point when you think it's all burned down, mm-hmm. the paper will lift into the air and then it turns to ash and, and kind of falls down. So it's it's this very exciting moment when you're like, Ooh, it's not going to work. Ooh, there it goes. It's yes. up in the air. So it's very, it's like like high, um, it's very gratifying. It's very satisfying. These things just soar into the air and you see them fly into the universe. And I can imagine exactly how satisfying it would be to do in this kind of situation. Because we just used it to make wishes for the new year, you know. But I thought Donna's way was actually a much more imaginative way to use these flying wish papers. Yeah, release bad things into the into the air, let them go. And I thought it was great that she said it felt like a tribute instead of a catharsis. Because I remember in that episode, Andrea said, like, I don't want to, like, you know, black out his photographs. Like, yes, it felt like a tribute. That's like a that's like a great way to think about it. It was a wonderful thing. And now I'm moving on. It doesn't feel destructive or or. um or inconsiderate, or like, this was a bad idea. It's just like, this is over. It's not like cutting up someone's clothes <laughs> and pouring acid on them. Yes. Some people have yes. done. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's a different way. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you, Donna. I think that's a beautiful... Thanks, Donna. Yeah, and it's something you could use in a lot of different situations, I think. It's a, it's a very um, imaginative and constructive way to deal with negative emotions. Okay, Gretch, it is time for a Know Yourself Better. And this also comes from a listener. So we're having like our whole episode is inspired by our listeners. Yeah. They're doing our job for us, which is great. Um, and this comes from Kathleen. I've noticed in the workplace that folks tend to fall into one category or the other when it comes to how they deal with the crossover between work and life. For example, some people seem perfectly happy to answer emails on the weekends, to work on projects late at night, etc., all while they integrate fun into the day with social lunches, coffee breaks, extended online shopping or social media sessions. I think of these folks as integrators, folks who seem quite willingly to blend work and life together. Some of us, on the other hand, are compartmentalizers. I fall squarely into this camp. Work is work, life is life, and I try to keep the two separate in terms of time allocation. I can't enjoy a coffee break or a relaxed dinner when I know there's a big project waiting for me to return to, uh, as intellectually engaging as that project may be, so I'd rather plow through the work first, then get to the fun as a reward. I cut the fat from the workday with the aim of making weekends and evenings, as much as humanly possible, work-free. I'm a lawyer at a big firm, so it's often not possible, but it's a goal worth chasing. I also seem to be one of the few professionals I know who won't put her work email on her personal iPhone, instead preferring to keep the old firm-issued BlackBerry as a second separate device. On the whole, the compartmentalizer approach makes me happier because it means that personal time is truly distinct and enjoyable, and the jarring transitions between life and work are minimized. But I get that others work better when the boundaries between work and life are more fluid. So this is the the distinction between integrators and compartmentalizers. What do you think, Elizabeth? Where do you fall? That is fascinating. Um, I think I'm more of a compartmentalizer in that I, when I'm done with work, I like to be done. I don't like to have to go home, eat dinner, and then sort of sit down and work for an hour, you know, before bed. Although I end up doing having to do that. Um, uh, on certain shows for sure. But um, at the same time, being a TV writer is such a lifestyle and an identity yeah. that in some ways I'm very integrated. Like almost all of my friends are TV writers. Wherever I am at a social occasion, I'm talking usually about TV writing. 
So, so I feel like I'm both. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because I think Kathleen uh, very wisely at the end points out, like, it's not that there's one right way or one wrong way, but it's just that different people prefer to have a different kind of life. And I think what can sometimes cause conflict is when, like, maybe an integrator thinks like, well, we should all be happy to stay at the office until 11 p.m. And if you Mm -hmm. need to have time with your friends, we'll just like take two hours for a long lunch and a compartmentalizer is like, no, 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 I don't want to I don't want to have to switch like that. But to an integrator, that would feel very natural. Um, And same thing with a compartmentalizer. They might not understand why everybody's not, you know, rushing out the door at six. I mean, I think I remember that you had a didn't you have a boss who has sort of had an issue with this? Well, there are there are people uh, in L.A. who they seem to like to stay at work till 11 p.m. It's sort of like that's their social life and their work life yeah. um, all take place sort of in the office. Yeah. Um, and so if you have, say, a young child at home that you want to get home to. Um, that's a very difficult thing to deal with. Now, if you're 25 and single, that could be great. And you, and you, and it's great to, you know, play basketball in the office until midnight, right. you know, and then do some work at 2 a.m., you know? Right. Um, so it really does depend on, on the, the individuals, you know, in question. Well, and then I also wonder, like, sometimes it seems like it's a false choice. Like, like with Kathleen, I would take a little bit of issue when she says work is work, life is life. Well, work is life, you know, and I think sometimes it's like to feel like one thing is like, like, like I have to rush through part A so that I can get to what matters, which is part B. Mm. You want to think like, well, part A has its own value and like not to feel like it's just something to rush through. It doesn't seem like that's how Kathleen's thinking about it. But sometimes I think people do fall into like work is bad and leisure is good or or whatever. And you want them both to feel like they're important, valuable um, parts of your life. And in fact, I have a friend who I think is now using this language, I think it's an extreme compartmentalizer. And he said to me, he's also a lawyer at a big firm. He said, I don't want to have a friend at work. Mm. He's like, I just want to have an impersonal, pleasant interaction with people and then, you know, do a good job and then go home. And I will say that the research shows that if you talk to people who are happy at work, they say... I have at least one friend at work, meaning I have at least one friend who like I could confide an important secret to somebody I feel Mm -hmm. like I can trust um, someone I feel like knows me Mm -hmm. um, and really cares about me personally. And so I think, you know, if you're too much of a compartmentalizer, you might give work really, really short shrift because you're just trying to race through it. it, You know, it doesn't seem like its own thing. Yeah. I mean, you, Gretchen, I think of as the ultimate integrator because your work is your life. And your life is your work. Yeah, but it's it's kind of funny because since I work by myself, I mean, like I have all these different parts and I sort of sometimes I'm collaborating and sometimes not. And it's all sort of very up to me when anything gets scheduled. And if I want to meet a friend for lunch, I can because nobody cares except for me. Yeah. So I think my life is totally integrated and I would never even think about, you know, like if I had to take an hour and, you know, pack for a trip or something in the middle of the day, I just would. And that works for me. But I think for some people, they, and I mean, I think Kathleen's point is right. Some people might not like that. Even if they had complete control over their schedule, they might really pack it so that there's like a work day and then the non-work day just because they like having their life set up that way better. Um, so like everything with Know Yourself Better, it's just helpful to think about what feels right to you, what feels comfortable for you, and then to try to figure out, well, 
how can I make my life reflect that? Because maybe the people around me are making, you know, have a different way of doing it that might not be uh, as comfortable. Yeah, it can also, it, it helps you understand why other people are doing what they're doing. And yes. that can ease relations. If you just go, oh, I see, they just, it's not that they don't like me, it's that they like to keep their home life separate. So they're not going to invite me to a barbecue at their house. And it's nothing personal. Right. Or they're really pushing us to have this meeting at two because they don't like the idea of waiting and doing it at seven because like at that point, they're going to be, you know, in their car going home. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah. So you're exactly right. When you know yourself better and you understand other people better and how they might feel differently about things, then it eases conflict because you can just, you can think, well, how do we get to a solution that works for both of us instead of, you know, you don't care about the office, you have no home life, blah, 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 you know. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you, Kathleen, for that. Uh, know yourself better. That's fascinating. Yeah. And now for a listener question. And as a reminder, you can always leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336, uh, which is also handily 77-HAPPY-336. Um, and Gretchen, this week's listener question comes from Whitney. She says, I have a hang up with the idea of a one sentence journal. I feel like it would be stressful to try to distill my day into one sentence. Any tips for how to do that? So Gretchen, uh, Whitney's talking about the one sentence journal, which is um, an idea um, that you talk about in the happiness project. And in fact, um, you even have your own one sentence journal um, that people can buy um, that's like five right. years of a journal, which is nice. Um, and it's the idea that every day, instead of trying to write a long <laughs> journal passage, which many of us, you know, abandon after a day, you just write one yeah. sentence. Yeah, no. And, and the th Whitney's point is very important because the fact is like people do these one sentence journals in all different ways. And if it seems really stressful, to do it one way, just don't do it that way. And and in fact, most people, I don't think, do try to distill their day into one sentence. It's not like they don't use it as sort of a summary mm -hmm. of their day. But what most people do, um, and I've talked to so many people, my favorite thing is like at a book event, people will bring me their journals and show them to me all full up, filled up. It's so fun. Mm. What a lot of people do is they'll do it. It's like a greatest hit. It's like a highlight. So it might be some funny thing their kids said or something funny that happened at work or like, you know, some some striking thing that happened. So it's not it's not summarizing. It's just like a highlight. And then some people use it like more specifically. And and some people use it for things that are like very directly happiness related, like one thing I'm grateful for, one thing that made me happy today. Mm. But then some people use it in different ways. And one I know somebody who was going through chemotherapy and she used the one sentence journal as a way to kind of just memorialize what was going on with that, because mm. if she felt like it was really important and it was helpful to her to like write something down about it, it made her feel like she had more control over it if she was just like recording it. And she also told me that she had the feeling that later on she would want to have some kind of record, but she couldn't face doing anything more than that, you know, than just like one sentence. Yeah. And so she used it. So I don't think that was probably a happy process, but in a way it, it gave her a feeling of control and, and memorializing something important to her. So that's a kind of happiness. And then I've heard of other people using it in kind of different ways. Like one guy was start like was doing like an entrepreneurial kind of very side hustle school. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of uh, Chris, Chris's podcast doing this project and um, was afraid that he would just like keep repeating the same mistakes if he didn't keep some kind of record. Mm. Um, 
And so, but it's like, again, you're starting something up. You don't have time to like write down these long, thoughtful passages. So he just wrote one sentence a day of like something big, you know, whatever was happening in his business. And so again, it was very targeted. It wasn't everything that was happening in his life. It was just one aspect of his life. But again, it's like, it feels manageable because it's just one sentence. So you're like, I can do one sentence. Um, and you don't have to do it in a written journal too. You could type it. Like I would never do a written journal because my handwriting is so bad. You too, Elizabeth. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Mine's> <laughs> horrible, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just the idea is words trigger memories. Yes. So if you just wrote down ice storm, suddenly you would remember, oh, that's when we had the ice storm and, and you know, we we didn't have school for three yeah. days and this happened. You know, it's not like you have to encapsulate everything, as you said. It's it's not new, it's not morning till night. Yeah. It's just those words that are going to make things come back to you in 20 yes. years when you look back. Yeah, because, I mean, I would never knock a full journal because I think they're amazing. And I love reading journal. I'm just I just checked out Emerson's journals from the library, in fact. So it's it's wonderful. But for a lot of people, they just get frustrated because they have this urge to keep a journal. But then, like you say, they abandon it after like the first week. And so this is something that's that you do get the benefit of that that holding on to that memory, but in a way that feels like something that you can keep up with. If you're if you're short of time and energy. Yeah. So, Whitney, you can do it any way you want. You do not. There's no there. Make it fun for you. Make it something that's sustainable and that'll be fun to look back on in the future. One of the best ways to make ourselves happy in the present is to think about happy times in the past. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, Gretchen, it is time for demerits and gold stars. Tell us, uh, what is your happiness demerit this week? Well, this demerit has a sad history because it started out as a gold star, then it became a demerit, but now huh. I'm turning, I'm going to turn, I, I, I have now vowed to turn it back into a gold star. So um, kind of along the same lines of having a one sentence journal, I'm really into keeping the idea of keeping mementos and like memorabilia, huh. but um, I'm also obsessed with clutter. And so it's like, how do you keep mementos uh, in a way that's organized and doesn't take up that much space. So years ago, when Eliza and Eleanor were really little, I hit on this great system. This is the gold star part, mm. where I, I went and mm. like to a fancy stationery store and bought a really nice box where you can put in hanging files and folders. You know, and this happened to be the by via motif, if anybody cares, this pandan style file box. But it's any kind of like nice file box. It's not just like some cardboard box that you get when your office files are moved from one room to another. And I put mm -hmm. in the hanging files and I put in the folders and I made full, and this is where I started to slip. I made folders for like the first five years of each child's mm -hmm. life. And I, you know, and at that time I was like, I can't even see that far into the future. So why would I bother? Okay. Well, years passed very right. quickly. 
So, you know, I have like the purple room of nursery school and the green room of nursery school. And then after that, they kind of wear out. And that, But I did keep the, the files for each separate year for a couple of years. And then um, I, I did it longer for Eliza, but then Eleanor, I very quickly didn't just started dumping everything into one big file. Mm. And the fact is with mem- mementos like this, it's like it's more fun when they're really organized and like you're like, what was what was happening in second grade? And I can just mm. look and see second grade. It's not just a mishmash of stuff. It's like it's all together. And so um, it's easier to keep up than to catch up. But I am now catching mm. up. So I went to the store and bought a whole thing of hanging files because I'd run out of hanging files mm. and folders and one night when I'm like watching reruns of The Office, the way I often do, I'm going to like sit down and take all the papers out, put in the file folders, put in the files, sort everything out into its proper place. Because mm-hmm. it's so satisfying when it's organized. And when it's not organized, it just feels like a bunch of junk. Um, so I'm going to turn that demerit into a gold star very soon. Good for you, Gretch, because you're an upholder. I know you'll follow through with that. I know you'll... You're not just saying you're going to do that. You'll do it. I will do it. No, and I will find it enormously satisfying. You can report back. Yes. And, you know, like, oh, here's the Valentine's card that we sent out in 2011. It goes right here. It's going to be, you know, and then the class photos, some, some, uh, for her college, one of her college applications, Eliza's like, I need a paper that I wrote in junior year that I got a good grade on. And I was Ugh. like, oh, my gosh, where Whoa. is that? And I'm like, maybe I put it in the file box. And I ran there. And oh, my gosh, there was one. I was like, this is like mommy triumph. Wow. Um, so, OK, so so I learned my lesson. Maintain the file boxes. OK, now, how about you? What's a gold star for you? Um, well, this week, Gretch, I want to give the gold star to a total stranger. Don't know this woman. But she is a crossing guard at our local uh, public elementary school near our house. And this woman waves at every car that goes by the school every day. Wow. And it's so nice because obviously five mornings a week, either Adam or I are driving by with Jack. Um, And it's just so nice because she doesn't just wave. She waves enthusiastically at you, often with two hands. Oh, Um, Sometimes it's almost like she's not dancing, but sort of doing a little move. Um, And it's just a nice, friendly neighborhood way to start the day that I think a lot of us don't get, especially in, you know, big cities. Yeah. Um, So... I give her a gold star for no matter what the weather, no matter if she's tired or not, she always makes an effort to greet every single car and person that passes by. Well, that must take an enormous amount of energy. I mean, that's a lot of cars at a busy time of day. Wow. Yes, I would just be standing, staring (laughs) into space. Um, But she's engaged with everybody around her, and it really does make a difference. I bet it does. It's like a little lift in your day. You'll have to put it put a picture on the on your Instagram. Oh, I should. That's a great idea. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Do something for your future self. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And we say it every time, and we mean it every time, that if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. It is really helpful to us. 
Um, it really helps other people learn uh, about the show, which is great. And if you'd like to get my newsletter, in addition to the podcast, just text me at 66866. And in the message box, write the word happier. And you will get a text back that asks you for your email address. And if you type that in uh, as your answer, you'll get a confirmation and you'll be signed up for my newsletter. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Upward.